are born knowing nothing. And uh, your job is to start filling them up with that information that they need. The second phase is understanding. As they grow and mature, you know, when they're a little bitty, it's just mainly information. Uh, you know, what they can touch, what they can't touch, and what they need to do next, and how they need to respond to you, and learning the word no is pretty important, um, and those kinds of things. And then now, as they grow a little older, we often begin to offer explanations of why. Um, because this pleases the Lord. Because this pleases mommy and daddy. Uh, that's a reason that we might give for something. But then we may expand on that, and certainly as they grow older and older, uh, we're there just like God does, right? He, God gives us information. He tells us what to do, what not to do. But then he also provides stories, um, examples, illustrations, um, and, and he, he expands upon that with uh, telling us why we do certain things. And so understanding is the second thing. And then the third thing, this, that's where we stopped. Uh, and those are kind of the why questions. The what questions are phase one. The why questions, phase two. Phase three is wisdom. That's the goal. Uh, in the classical education model, we have uh, the grammar phase, the logic phase, and the rhetoric phase. And I think they, they parallel pretty nicely the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom language of the Bible. Like the other two phases, uh, children grow into this phase of training. And again, these phases overlap uh, somewhat. This, this last phase begins, uh, I like to say, about the time they get their driver's license, maybe a little sooner. Um, uh, it's the beginning of adulthood. New mobility will offer new challenges. Uh, the ropes get really long at this point. And that's when we start to find out, have the standards become their standards? And there, there are going to be stumbles. There are going to be failures along the way. And that's part of the training process. That's part of how we learn and grow. So uh, knowledge and understanding then are about to get tested. How did we do? Did we give them enough knowledge? Did we give them enough understanding? So the basic rule is that parents must continue to control their children at every point where they will not control themselves. And remember, control means under God's standard. So that's, that's the, the self-government that we're looking for. Um, self-government under God. There should be a gradual shift over the training period from birth to adulthood that moves very early from total parental control to total self-control, always under God, of course, not, totally, not, not autonomous control, not self-law, but self-rule under God's law. That's a different standard. Uh, God's law is the controlling or the limiting force for all of us. It's what sets the boundaries. It tells us where our domain is. Uh, that's the problem. When, we, when Adam and Eve didn't keep their domain, they got outside the boundaries. Satan, uh, as an angel, didn't keep his domain. The, the angels that fell with him didn't keep their domain. They didn't stay where God had put them. They wanted to do something else or be something else. And so, again, uh, 
True liberty is found in God's law. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So the train on the tracks versus the train off the tracks. So just as the law-abiding citizen does not uh, fear the minister of justice, the policeman, the law-abiding child doesn't have any need to fear parents or other authorities. They keep God's word whether the enforcer of the law is present or not because it's hidden in their hearts and because they've learned that the ultimate enforcer is God himself, and he's always present. I remember I said uh, one of the, I think one of the very most important things to teach young children, uh, and I remember my dad teaching me this. He didn't have uh, the children's catechism, but I like the way the children's catechism does it. Can you see God? No, but he always sees me. That is a really important thing for all of us to know. So cultivating an awareness of the presence of God is critical. That's why we pray and read the Word and worship and do all these things, that God is our environment. He's not something over here. He's not a slice of the pie. He's the whole thing. So when that becomes inculcated in a child as they grow, that's, that's the goal. So if parents have trained their children properly, children will value their parents' counsel rather than forsaking it. So wisdom is the goal. Wisdom is the ability to take knowledge and understanding that we've been given and to apply it to new circumstances. Never been in this spot before. What do I need to do? What do I need to know? So your children and you, obviously you can't teach what you don't know. Um, You should know that God is good. God is all-powerful. God is wise. And God loves me. And we, we could add to that list, but those are four things everybody should know all the time. And if, and if I, there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know because I'm not God. So what, what has God revealed? The things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. The secret things belong to the Lord, but God has told us what we need. So I need to learn those things. And so when I'm facing a situation, I go, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know everything about this, but here's what I do know. And so that's a, usually a, a somewhat short list, but if it's really present in our own minds, uh, that will help us and help our children. By the way, feel, I know we don't do this often. I want to encourage it more. If you've got a question or a comment or a story or you want to, you know, embarrass your children or something, you know, just jump in here. Um, I mean, in a good way, of course. Yes, sir. I say well, the, God is good, God is wise, God is powerful, and God loves me. Uh, I think those are four core things. Um, it's kind of like I do this, for example, when I'm talking to young people about who to marry. There are three things you've you got to have. you got to marry somebody who loves God, and then you fill that out, you know, you Loves Jesus Christ, no question, no ifs, ands, or buts, no maybes, no I hope so's. You could fill all that out, but the, the, the heading is loves God. Second, kind. That means what? Not just to me, not just to their boyfriend, their girlfriend, but to strangers and to their family and to the people they work with. That means they are self-sacrificing. 
and giving of themselves for the sake of others. So you've got to have somebody who loves God, somebody that's kind, and somebody that's diligent. They work hard. They keep their promises. They do what they say they'll do, even when it's hard. If you have that, then you have a good person to marry. And they, hopefully, were getting the same kind of person. So if you get two people who have those three qualities, it'll work. Handsome, good-looking, can sing, paint, dance, is rich. Those are bonuses. Those are not essential. Okay? The first three, essential. What do you know? Those are easy to remember. All right, back to this. Guidelines for discipline. Avoid the current fads. There are always abusive parents who want to go beyond God's standard and the discipline of their children. They become physically or verbally abusive. This is always a sin, and it's always a serious sin. There's different degrees of it, of course. Parents must always represent their heavenly father. You're giving your children an image, particularly younger children, but really all the way through. In fact, um, I'm going to chase a little bit of a rabbit here. One of the things that I realize, I think this is generally true, is somewhere in your 20s you start to realize some things about your parents. Uh, maybe in your teen years they mostly aggravated you, but um, you, you come to see them as people, uh, as like you. In other words, they were raised, they didn't have everything, they have some deficits, some weaknesses. And what happens somewhere in your 20s, particularly after you're married and have children, is you begin to see your parents in a different light. But before that, you, you expect, they were up here. You expected the, them. They were the boss. They were the authority. They were supposed to have all the answers. They were supposed to always get it right. And so, uh, and I think that's the way God designed it. We're supposed to be in that relationship with them. Uh, and so that, and that changes again when they get elderly. So, um, uh, there, there are also abusive parents, and they w- won't like this term applied to them probably, who want to do less than God's standards require. So there are parents who want to do more. I want to be harsher than God. I want to be harder than God. I want to have a higher standard than God. I want to, do it this way, and we think of that as abusive. But there's also abuse on the on the neglect side, on the softer side, if you will, um, where we have have standards that are quite a bit lower than what God requires. They are kinder than God, which is no kindness at all. I, I put the word kinder in quotes on my notes here. Um, some years ago, I was with uh, Dr. Greg Bonson out in Los Angeles, and it was near evening, and we stopped at a place. I don't remember the name of the store, but it was like Academy Sports Place. He was buying some some shoes, and we went into the store. It was still daylight, and we were in there for a little bit. And as we came out, uh, we had to cross a street, and then there was a parking lot, and we were, you know, a good ways, I don't know, 30 yards or so to where his car was parked. And as we came out, there was a gang of teenagers on the street down on the corner. Um, and they were probably about the same distance uh, from where the car was. 
And as we, as we were at the street waiting to cross, and he saw that, and he said, all right, keep your head down, and let's walk fairly fast to the car. And, uh, and he said, we, we don't want to call attention to ourselves. Uh, so, and then as we were walking, he just made the comment. He says, this is what happens to a society that is kinder than God. The innocent have to worry about getting to their car. The gang, they can occupy the streets and do, they can terrorize people, uh, because we don't want to, you know, take care of that problem. We don't want to bring that discipline to bear in a society. And so, uh, Proverbs 13.24 is a politically incorrect but absolutely true statement. He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, again, all the caveats, which I've said over and over, and I... And I Probably I'll just stop doing that. Nobody is advocating abuse. And if you don't know the difference between the use of a rod to bring about godly, loving discipline and abuse, then we need to have a talk. I think you know that. I think you know it when you see it. I think you know it when you do it. And so um, uh, we want to be obedient to God. These parents, often well-intentioned, sometimes the ones we're talking about, think they're kinder than God. Instead of spanking their children, they give them time timeouts. Now, there might be a place for that. I'm not saying there's never a time that you tell a child to sit down, settle down, and just sit there until I tell you to get up. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. But don't replace what God has given with that as a, as a substitute. Um, or simply leave them in their rebellion or hold them or some other trendy means of disobeying God, this too is sin, and it'll it'll produce some really bad fruit. Other parents, and don't make excuses for your children. Don't turn your children into victims. Okay, when 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 your children sin, just like when you sin, there's always somebody else you can blame. Adam blamed Eve. He really blamed God, the woman you gave me. Okay, and that's what we want to do. Well, if he hadn't done this, I wouldn't have... Hit him with a brick. Um, there's always an excuse. Maybe the, maybe somebody did do something, right? What does the Bible say you to do when somebody curses you? It says actually, it said don't curse them back. In fact, bless them. What if they hit you? Forgive them. Turn the other cheek. Why? You know. What if they insult you? Don't return an insult. So we we got to uphold that standard and not make excuses. Well, he hit me first, so I... Okay? So when we allow excuses for sin instead of saying, you know what? Uh, and I've told this story, Aaron, when he was playing baseball, I don't know, they were eight or nine, and... There was a bad call, imagine that, in a baseball game at second base. And uh, the guy should have been out, but the umpire called him safe, and that guy ended up scoring, and they lost the game by one point. So all the boys were complaining 
afterward about the bad call. And we, you know, we'd had whatever, however many innings it was and up the bats and, and I was listening to the boys and, uh, I said, guys, stop it. Life isn't fair and there's always going to be bad calls. If you'd have hit a home run, you'd have won. Just do better next time. You play harder. You made plenty of mistakes tonight that could have changed the game. So you own it. That's what you've got to do. You've got to factor in that this world is unjust and people aren't going to treat you fair and you still have to act right. None of that excuses you in the situation. So um, the biblical goal of discipline is to establish godly order, self-government in the life of the child. They learn the covenant blessings of obedience. They learn the covenant curses or miseries of disobedience. Uh, which is the centrality of the covenant. If you do well, there's happiness, there's blessing. you don't do well, there's trouble. There's unhappiness. All of discipline must be set in the context of positive training. Hebrews says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but painful. But in the end, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It seems not to be joyful, but it actually is in the end. It's a short-term pain for a long-term joy. So, uh, again, all discipline must be set in the context of positive training. That's doctrine. Remember, we're going to tell you what to do and how to do it and ask you if you need some help doing it. Discipline must be consistent, not arbitrary, you know, uh, based upon your mood what kind of day you had at work, um, those kind of things. Um, rather, it is a means of teaching God's grace towards sinners. So there must be understanding and discipline. A child should always know what or why they're being disciplined. Don't assume that they know simply because you know. Um a good way to do that is ask them, why are you being disciplined? It's amazing, especially with little kids, well, teenagers do, how many times they give you a different reason. Um, so if they don't know why, then tell them why. No, you're being disciplined because... So one of my kids, who shall remain nameless... Uh, one time came just you know, before supper, can I have a cookie? The answer no, we're about to have dinner, you may not. And turn around, five minutes later, somebody's crawled up on the counter getting a cookie. All right, go to your room, disobedient, put the cookie down. Go back there, well, why are you, you're about to get a, a spanking, why? Because I got a cookie. No, we have nothing against cookies per se. You're getting a cookie because you were disobedient. You were told not to do something, and you did it. It's the disobedience that you're about to be disobedient. And then you say, so why are you getting a spanking? Because I disobeyed. Okay. Now we're ready to go. That takes a little extra time, but I think that's important. Um, And in other cases, it can be even more important. Uh, um, So, again, have them tell you why... They are being disciplined. Parents, you must be in control of yourselves 
when you discipline. The Bible says be angry and sin not. It's never an excuse. You don't get to lose your temper. You don't use, use foul language. Zero unwholesome words. That includes yelling, name-calling, or cursing, or anything else that might come close to that category. If you want them to be self-governed under God, that means you have to be self-governed under God. You can be angry, the Bible says so, but you may not sin because you're... Being angry is not an excuse for sinning. Discipline is for correction, not punishment per se. It is for the good of the offender. Very critical to know the difference. See, I could punish somebody because they made me mad and I want to get even. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You made me miserable, I'm about to make you miserable. It's payback. That's not parental discipline. Uh, it is not vengeance on the part of the parent, though that is tempting sometimes. Um, just remember, sin or rebellion breaks communion. The goal of discipline is to restore communion. Methods of discipline. The Bible says that the rod or spanking is the primary method for disciplining children. Proverbs 19.18, Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. To fail to discipline is to basically say, go do whatever you want to do and live with the consequences. There will be a payday for that. Uh, Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound up where? In the heart of the child, and the rod of correction will drive it, drive it far from him. So apparently... There is some kind of uh, connection between the behind and the heart. So, yes, it'll, have you ever had that? Hey, we need an attitude adjustment. Bend over. It works. And uh, so there is a connection between the body and the heart, the soul, the spirit. These things go together, and you'll see that in body language and all kind of other things, right? Uh, Proverbs 23, 13 through 16, do not, that's a command, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Again, this is in the context of godly discipline. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. My son, if your heart is wise... My heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Proverbs 29:15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Hebrews 12. 6 through 11. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges, he spanks every son whom he, whom he receives. If you endure, endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you are without chastening, of which of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Generally speaking, I don't spank other people's children. I've had one or two exceptions. Um, I'll explain that in a minute. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems, no discipline seems to be joyful in the present, but painful, but in the end it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the teaching of God's word. I did paddle a couple of kids, one being Zach Ramsey, um, and he deserved it. Amen. <laughs> um, the other one was Sam Nix, for those who want to know. So, um, And they turned out okay. So there must be substance to the form. The fellowship of the parents must be desired by the child, something they enjoy having. Discipline comes when the rules of the parents are violated, and thus the fellowship with parents is broken. So what we're wanting is a a relationship. Not just follow the rules, or you're going to make me mad, and I'm going to make you unhappy because you didn't make, because you made me unhappy, and so now I want you to walk around always worried about whether I'm unhappy or not. That's not the point. I want real fellowship with you. I love you. I want us to be in loving communion. And so um, discipline comes, uh, excuse me, sin separates us from God, and it should temporarily separate children from, from the harmonious communion with their parents. So if your home is an unpleasant place to be and your children don't find your fellowship something they would want, then the spanking is little more than one more painful event in the midst of other painful events. Spanking by itself is not sufficient to accomplish godly order. Order is broken when the rules are broken. Pain is inflicted as a result of the disorder or the disobedience, but the pain is designed to cause the rule breaker to not want to break the rules again. Having applied the discipline, the correction is made and fellowship and order are restored. Communion is restored. We're friends. We enjoy one another. We can laugh together. We, this is pleasantness. Everyone, and parent and child, should be happier as a result, immediate and long-term. And so there has to be form to the substance. Just going through the motions of spanking, might make a parent feel better in the moment, but it always fails uh, to produce the desired result. The form of discipline has to be meaningful. So if it's not painful at some level, unpleasant at some level, then it's not discipline. Sometimes parents have said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And in one sense, that might be true on occasion, but generally it shouldn't be true. 
most of the time it should hurt them more than it hurts you. If your spankings are not accomplishing the purpose of correcting your child's behavior, then it probably doesn't hurt enough. Your child should remember the spanking long enough to reorder their priorities. They should not, they should want to avoid any more of those. So as children grow older, other creative forms of discipline may be applied. So we talked about some of these last week. So just remember, number one, do not sin against your children. You may not disobey God yourself in the process of dealing with your children's disobedience. Um, I think Aaron was about 12, and I think Marinelle, I don't know if he was that old. He may have been a little younger. Had said that didn't hurt. Advice to all young teenagers, young people, don't say that. Um, that's not a good thing to say to your mother because when father gets home, uh, he can fix that. Um, so uh, with Kristen, Kristen was a teenager, and she didn't have a car. She could drive, but she did have car keys. Um, she didn't own a car. It was our car, but just... Taking the keys away was uh, worse than a spanking for her. It was symbolic and very painful. Um, Marinelle, uh, the girls shared a room, a little bitty room. Um, they, on more than one occasion, had a disagreement about who had messed something up as they were cleaning their room, and they were griping, complaining, and Marinelle had corrected them. And I don't know where, where'd you get this idea? She, uh, got a clean, dry washcloth and put it in their mouths. Not way down their mouth, just in the front. And said, keep that in there until you finish cleaning your room. Because I'm tired of listening to the two of you. Now, one good thing about a nice dry washcloth right there, it'll catch the tears. Um, um, so, uh, what was great about these kinds of things, by the way, we laugh about them behind their back. In fact, <laughs> uh, we had a little house. The girls were in the room with their washcloths, and Aaron had come in, their big brother, and Marinelle said, come here. They were in the hall. And so they were having a little bit of a laugh because um, it was just funny. And But... I don't think we had to do that many more times because then this, the threat of the washcloth uh, was usually sufficient. Do I need to get the washcloth out? We got quiet. Uh, so uh, some of those, uh, again, done in the spirit of love, but with a desire to correct a significant problem, uh, that works well. Um, so uh, my brother-in-law had two boys. They wouldn't, they were little bitty guys, and it was bedtime, and they were kicking each other. They were in the same bed, kicking each other and carrying on. They'd been corrected a couple of times, so he called them out and said, okay, you can have a spanking or you can jump. Which do you want to do? Well, they chose jumping. Um, That was good for about a minute (laughs) until the jumping had to continue and uh, the tears, and so they jumped till they were ready to fall over, and they went to bed and went to sleep. And that was, didn't leave a mark. Um, 
I'm being lighthearted here, but those are kind of things. Um, Annabelle, we told on you last week when you weren't here, so we won't tell that again. It's in my notes, though, for future stories. Um, and I've told about the Alders girls and their communion shirt, right? What's that? Their get-along shirt. Yes, you can put... Um, they were not getting along. Uh, they were teenagers. Who was that? Was that Anne Elizabeth and Gracie? Yeah, imagine that. Um, so I got a phone call. David was out of town, and uh, they complained because Nicole, they kept fussing while they were doing their chores, and she put them in the same shirt and had told them they had to finish their chores, so they said they were going to tell Pastor Booth. So she said, well, let's just call him right now. <laughs> so it was great. It was, uh, I said, girls, were you acting like Christian ladies toward one another? No, sir. Well, I suggest you get happy inside that T-shirt and finish your chores so you don't ever have to wear it again. Yes, sir. That was the whole phone call. So, um, so anyway, a little creativity. All right, we've got a few minutes. Questions, comments, other stories. Anybody else have any other creative discipline stories?